Welcome to It's Complicated, a podcast about healthcare ethics. I'm Marika Warren, network ethicist for the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network, and I'll be your host for this conversation. The Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network, or NSHEN, is a collaboration between the Nova Scotia Department of Health and Wellness, IWK Health, Nova Scotia Health, and Dalhousie University that works to provide ethics support throughout the healthcare system in Nova Scotia. This podcast is part of our ongoing efforts to stimulate and support conversation about ethics in healthcare. We're running this as a one-year trial with new episodes every two months, and we'd love any feedback you have on format, topics, and possible guests. Today's episode is an opportunity to meet the various folks involved in Enshen and become familiar with some of the voices you might hear in future episodes. I'm joined here by my Enshen colleagues, and I'll have everyone introduce themselves in turn with their name, their role with Enshen, how long they've worked with Enshen, and their favorite form of transportation. So to kick that off, we'll go to Lisbeth. Hi, I'm Lisbeth Witov nielsen and I am the Enshen Program Coordinator. I've worked with Enshen since 2016. And my favorite mode of transportation is my feet. So next we'll turn to Christy. Hi there, everyone. Uh, I'm Christy Simpson. I've been with Enchen since it began, which is uh, a wonderful way to think back to the beginning. And I was also part of the team that helped to bring Enchen into existence, if you will. And that was indeed a, a real pleasure. And it's been great to see how Enchen has developed over the years. So my favorite form of transportation, I kind of have to answer uh, with two different ways. One is uh, from a practical side, I love my car. My car gets me where I need to go. I love doing road trips and those kinds of things. But from a fun side, I really enjoy my kayak. Getting out on the water and having a chance to paddle around is indeed a wonderful way to relax. Next, we turn to Krista. Hi, everyone. My name is Krista Malesko-Scary, and I am the administrator for the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network. I've been with Enchen for 11 years and previously was an admin at the IWK. Thinking about my favorite form of transportation, I would have to divide it between two situations. When I'm on my way to work, I prefer the bus or my car and my feet for number two because I love to hike and walk long distance. And we're turning now to Amanda. Hi everyone, my name is Amanda Porter. Uh, I've been a member of the Enchen operations team for about three years now and I have thoroughly enjoyed my time here. And my favorite mode of transportation is walking, for sure. Great, and I, as I mentioned, am Marika Warren. I'm the network ethicist for the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network and have been here since 2008. So that's 13 and a bit years now, um, which sounds longer than it feels, but uh, we've done a lot of exciting, interesting things in that time. Um, and certainly my favorite form of transportation is my bike, uh, because I think it's the perfect speed to go at. So you get to where you need to go in a reasonable amount of time, but you're still able to sort of take in scenery and things like that. And I find just the physical motion on a bike, uh, sort of you know, really repetitive motion, sometimes you know, it's really nice to help you think when you just your body is moving in repetitive ways and sort of your brain can wander in all sorts of directions. So that is why I love my bike. Great. So welcome, everyone. And so to start it off and to tie in with the theme of the podcast, uh, I'm going to ask what makes it complicated when it comes to healthcare ethics? So for that, we'll go first to Christy. Sure. Uh, yeah, an easy, easy question to start us off with in terms of what makes it complicated. I, I think in some ways, uh, when I think about ethics, part of the reason I love ethics and doing ethics work 
is because it is complicated. There's so many different issues that you can encounter, different ways of coming at them and things to think about. But over the years, I think the thing for me that really stands out is not only the issues themselves that make it complicated, but fundamentally it's about the relationships and the people that are part of those situations. So part of what's really complicated when it comes to doing ethics work like we do with Engine is uh, working with folks and, and helping people find the words to express what they're feeling, what they're distressed about, what's causing them that ethical concern or that ethical question or why they're wondering if they're doing the right thing in a patient care situation or around the boardroom table, whatever it might be. And so I think partly um, that part of the what makes it so complicated is the depth of the feelings that often go with the ethics issues that we encounter. And so it's that part about how do we manage and negotiate relationships and good conversation and good meaning in that broad ethical sense, good conversation, along with addressing the issues that are at hand as well. So that's great, Chrissy. There's a lot of uh, rich, rich ideas in there that I think probably will get uh, picked up on by other folks. But next, we're going to turn to Krista to, to see what her perspective is from the administrative side about what makes the work we do complicated. Thanks, Marika. Um, to me, it's complicated because there are different perspectives of what is ethical to individuals. And trying to find a common ethical ground in a healthcare situation is tricky. So the road to finding that solution can't be complicated. Terrific. I think it shows what, you, what you've seen in your role uh, over the years as you've, you've watched us uh, do the work that we do. Great. And next to you, Amanda. Yeah, I, I think this will pick up on some of the points that um, Krista and Christy have already have already mentioned. But I think sometimes I find it helpful to think about the difference between theory and practice. And I think in practice, there are all sorts of complicating features in um, in healthcare. Things like intensity of emotion, both on the part of patients and their families, and the healthcare providers and administrators themselves. Um, strong desires to maintain good professional and therapeutic relationships and concern about how a person's actions may affect uh, their relationships negatively. Um, things like hierarchy or power imbalances um, or better or worse approaches or understandings of what teamwork means. Um, resource constraints complicate things in practice, uh, including time sensitivity or time constraints. Um, uh, the division of labor can also sometimes complicate things insofar as we can't all be everywhere all the time and we do need a certain amount of division of labor, while at the same time we are trying to encourage collaboration and procedural justice and inclusion, of, uh, inclusion in decision making. Um, concerns about legal liability or legal threats can also complicate things, I think, in practice. Um, cognitive biases, things like attribution error, where you attribute someone's errors or, or missteps to a kind of underlying character flaw rather than to a product of circumstances. Or confirmation bias, where we tend to just see the information that confirms what we already believe to be true. Um, these kinds of things can... Uh, we're all susceptible to, and they can make practical situations much more complicated. 
social bias, um, usually unconscious, like racism or sexism, ageism, ableism can complicate things. Again, often just operating in the background without any deliberate uh, intention. And cultural and social diversity or just pluralism, different um, different ideas about what it means to, for example, have a good death or what a good decision-making process should be. Um, these things, we, we just simply don't all have a, a shared um, consensus on some of those things. Um, and then I think also differing tolerance for risk can also complicate healthcare decision-making. So um, yes, there's no shortage of complications and <laughs> practical healthcare ethics and uh, clinical and organizational ethics. So so my turn on this one, and certainly I would you know, underscore uh, everything that Amanda, Christy, and Krista have already uh, raised. So I, mean, I find that if there are clear, straightforward, uncomplicated answers, uh, then people have very little difficulty sort of arriving at those answers and agreeing on them um, amongst themselves. So really ethics support only comes in when all of these factors that you know, Amanda really effectively cataloged um, come into play. So you're dealing with all of those factors, all the, the realities of the situation um, that make it difficult. You know, so the contrast between the theory or even a paper case that we might give and then getting you know, into a situation where everyone is you know, so deeply embedded um, is a significant contrast. And so you're trying to deal with all these things that yeah, Amanda's mentioned. And at the same time, you're also trying to you know, highlight and foreground the work that values are doing in this situation, you know, because they're they're there, whether you acknowledge them or not. So it's, I think, one of the things that contributes to make it complicated, in addition to everything else that's been mentioned, is that trying to sort of manage all of these things at the same time in the conversation. So that's it for me. What about from your perspective, Lisbeth? Well, I think it's already been illustrated that lots of things make ethical practice complicated. Um, the way I see it, it's because we don't live in a vacuum. And so what's right or good for me might not be right or good for other people. Um, we have different values and different biases, as it's already been highlighted earlier on as well. Um, but the choices that I make um, as an individual may impact others and vice versa. And I think that um, choices around vaccines is a really good current example of that. So let's say I decide that it's ethical for me to take the vaccine and I weigh the benefits. It might be that I weigh the benefits or risks and find that the benefits of the vaccine is greater than the risk of not having it. It might be that I decide to do it because I want to protect others, or I might decide to do it because I want to protect myself. So I've made that decision because I find that it's ethical for me. Other people might choose to take the vaccine for other reasons, for example, if they want to contribute to clinical trials. Uh, or they might choose not to take the vaccine because um, it is their right to choose not to take the vaccine. Or they might choose not to take the vaccine because of medical reasons that the, the risks associated with taking the vaccine is greater for their health than the actual benefits. And it's complex uh, to work out which and under what circumstances uh, these various reasons are ethical or not. 
So, so yeah, all the, the weighing and balancing piece there comes in. So just before we move on, I just wonder if there's anyone that wanted to comment on anything that uh, came up in the description or add on to uh, their explanation of why it's complicated. Yeah, I guess if I can, uh, Marika, just to sort of add in, I think probably I'd say ditto to everything that followed what I said originally <laughs> in the sense of I think what we're doing is really highlighting why this work is so involved and engaging. So it can be very, as much as it's complex and it's complicated, I think it's also really important work then to be doing too, precisely for the nature of how do we foreground values? How are they informing the decisions that we're making? How does it influence, like Lisbeth was just talking about, um, those broader public health decisions in connection to individual decisions. But also, I think, as both uh, Krista and Amanda highlighted, too, part of this is all about we're in community with each other, whether it's within healthcare or broadly, and needing to find ways about how do we work through these complicated, difficult, challenging, emotionally involved situations together. Um, because I think that's one of the underwriting pieces is together maybe doesn't mean we all agree, but together means we're committed to that process of how are we going to move this forward and make the best decision we can, all things considered. So I think we can perhaps conclude that you know, it's complicated because it's complicated. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I look forward to you know, continuing to discuss you know, so the complications as they arise in particular locations in healthcare as we go into further episodes. All right. So maybe to get a sense of sort of what a, a day is like in the life of the Enshen office, I'm going to ask everyone what your favorite task at work is. So this time we're going to start with Krista. Well, um, I think I'm one of the lucky ones um, who can say that I really do enjoy all my tasks and I don't have a specific favorite one. But uh, something that I do enjoy doing is researching uh, articles for our social media, such as our Facebook and our Twitter pages. And I also really do enjoy uh, developing the background for our events and uh, resources, such as the podcasts for the designs and stuff like that. Excellent. Next, Amanda, what's your favorite part of working with Enshin? I love participating in small group conversations about ethically challenging cases or issues and then uh, collaborating and writing it up. I tend to gravitate more to writing than talking, but I love the creative exchange of ideas of intelligent and thoughtful people who are exploring something from multiple perspectives. So I'd say that's a highlight for me. All right. And to take the mic for a second myself, very similar uh, to Amanda. My favorite task at work is giving a presentation to a thoughtful and engaged group of folks who really dig in and ask great questions, um, both in terms of that gives me the sense that I'm doing something that's you know, helpful and beneficial for that group, but it also helps me sometimes think through things. And uh, in contrast to Amanda, um, I do a lot of sometimes thinking with my mouth open. And so talking through uh, questions with groups um, can really help me come to insights um, that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So next, it's Lisbeth. Yeah, I 
it was difficult to choose for me as well because there's a lot of things that I like doing in my engine role. Uh, but I think finding good resources for ethics after hours or bioethics book club is probably my favorite things and writing up the discussion pages for those and for engine fireside chats because it requires um, a fair amount of thinking from my part in teasing out the ethics issues and um, finding good questions that can be used for group discussions. Great. And for you, Christy? Uh, yeah, so very much along the same kinds of lines. And I think what echoes in my head as I thought about this question, is Enchen's focus on capacity building and confidence building. And so I think anytime we have an opportunity when we do those kinds of sessions and you can see that uh, through education or through a consultation that people are growing in those kinds of ways and feeling more comfortable with how they're framing or understanding a particular issue or engaging with others with different perspectives, I think that's something that I really uh, do enjoy and appreciate about the work that we get to do. But on a more mundane side, if I can add that in, one of the things I also realized I love doing at work, uh, and I'm old school enough to have paper files, is that I enjoy doing my filing <laughs> periodically. And part of the reason I realize I enjoy it is one, then I feel like I have something accomplished when I can see the filing is done. And I think often in doing ethics work, sometimes you'd recognize the work's never done or it's hard to know whether something has made a difference or has made an impact. So seeing something accomplished is helpful. But I also realize I use filing for an opportunity to reflect. So it is a time when my mind can just wander and I can think about the different things that we've done uh, ethics support wise over the week or two weeks, whatever it might be. And it just gives that chance to reflect on what could I do better? What would I change? what's really striking me about the types of issues that are coming up now or whatever the case may be. And I think that's one of the favorite things that I, that moment for self-reflection, I think is, is one of my favorite moments as well at work. The one thing that uh, I wanted to add based on others' discussions was that uh, I also really love the work that we do to find innovative and new ways. So this podcast being an example, but a lot of the resources that we have developed for the website and the way that we're trying to find, you know, new ways to make it easy for folks to do some of that thinking and reflection around ethics as they go about their daily work. And um, that's something I'm excited about and proud of that uh, we've done through Enshin. All right, so switching gears a bit. Uh, so as this is recorded, we're still in COVID. Who knows how long we'll remain in there, but I'm pretty confident that we'll still be in the pandemic when this is posted. Um, so I'm curious, you know, as we're still living through the pandemic, um, what you've learned from the experience of living in the time of COVID. And so we'll turn to you first, Amanda, for that uh, experience. COVID has been a huge learning experience for me professionally and personally as well. I think um, not that some of the lessons are entirely new, but I think they've really driven the point home. So for example, the role of social determinants on physical and mental health and the interconnections between health and financial security, participation in stable, supportive social and work relationships, and having a feeling of purpose or meaning, and the radical inequalities in how these, these important goods are distributed within society. I think all of that was made more apparent during COVID 
the toxic effect of effects of something like loneliness on health, for example, that was gaining more prominence before COVID. Um, but I think COVID has, again, just brought these connections between social circumstances and health status to the fore. Um, I think more broadly, COVID has made me think on about things like trust and sacrifice and solidarity and community. Um, and it's also made me reflect on uncertainty and how we communicate uncertainty in public health messaging while at the same time still inspiring trust and communicating action guiding recommendations. Um, so how do we balance transparency with promotion of trust and prevention of harm in public messaging, I think is a really interesting question that's come out of this pandemic. All right, uh, for myself, I, again, uh, a lot of similar insights to Amanda. Um, and I think for me, I'd frame it as, you know, I learned a lot about villages. So both, you know, again, something that you knew before, but has really been driven home in a different way. The fact that we are a village, we are interconnected to each other in really deep ways. And of course, the ethical significance of that in a whole host of uh, different questions. Um, and also that it takes a village, not just to raise kids, where that phrase often comes up, but just to make life go well for everyone. Um, and so, you know, for me, uh, even as technology can sometimes be frustrating and inadequate. Um, I've been so grateful for the ways that it has sustained relationships with others in villages. So both you know, within my family's village, but also within my professional village um, and the way that you know, both personally and professionally, um, it's helped people come together in new ways um, to collaborate, to provide you know, support, connection, sometimes just you know, comfort, laughter, commiseration. Um, and so, yeah, that that deep connectedness and all that it means uh, to us, again, both personally and professionally, is really what I'm taking away from our experience of COVID. And it's something that I hope that we're able to sort of retain some of those uh, insights, because as Amanda said, these aren't, this is nothing new. It's not a, a difference of, of kind. It really is just a difference of degree and maybe a difference of our awareness of it. And for you, Elizabeth? Yeah, I think maybe not so much learned, but more the pandemic has helped me and maybe all of us realize how ethics is always present in our daily lives. Um, I mean, it was before the pandemic, but I think it's more visible uh, that the decisions and choices that we are making during the, during the pandemic involves ethics. So decisions around mask wearing, decisions around COVID passports, um, when or why or how often uh, I might uh, choose to go for a rapid test, for example, involves ethics considerations. Um, and if I choose to bubble or who I choose to bubble with, and if I don't choose to bubble, also involves ethics choices. Um, so I think that has become more visible. Another thing is that the pandemic for me has showed me that the world is small in terms of how quickly the virus is spreading, but um, there is a world of difference in terms of how the pandemic affects and are experienced by people um, 
whether it's here in Canada or whether it's in other countries worldwide. So, Great. And for you, Christy? Um, well, I would certainly yeah, say yes with all of uh, that's been said so far uh, by my colleagues. Um, but I think the one thing that keeps coming back to me and, and resonating as well, in addition to what's been highlighted already, is around um, those small moments of connection and how we show care by a touch of hand, by asking how somebody's doing, by making that, that real human connection in those small, thoughtful ways. So I'm struck by our conversations in healthcare around visitor restrictions or persons of support restrictions and the tensions and questions that reveals about what is the role of family and friends and others involved in your care outside of the healthcare team? Are we partners in care or are we not? Um, how does it work if, if those folks aren't there in healthcare? And I think we saw throughout the pandemic very different conversations coming up about whether you're a visitor or whether you're a necessary support person for somebody in the healthcare context. And I think that that trajectory to me has been really fascinating to think through all of the different values that we're reflecting on as part of what makes up healthcare. But with that also then, were, the, were and are the conversations around how do we create connection when you're wearing a mask all the time as a healthcare provider or wearing gloves or a face shield or all of the above and a gown and those kinds of things and recognizing those questions around, is it the same if you hold somebody's hand when you're wearing a, a glove? Is it the same when you're wearing a face shield and people can only see part of your face or a mask and they can only see part of your face? So I think it's those, those bits that get me to go both in the healthcare context, but also outside around when everything's big and we think about big problems and big solutions, don't forget about the small things that we can do that are so effective and convey healing and comfort and care in those kinds of ways. And I think hopefully again, as, as you just said too, um, Marika about let's not lose sight of some of that as we go along. Like uh, a lot of our healthcare ethics dilemmas are about the big hard problems. And I think there are those parts about there's a lot we can do that doesn't have to be big either. Um, and we need to draw upon those aspects as well as part of healthcare. That's terrific. And for you, Krista. Um, so I answered this question a little bit more personally. Um, during this time, um, I've learned that it is possible for me to have a balance between family and work. Um, I've also learned that you don't need to travel a far distance just to have some time away, staying in our own local communities and, and not too far, you know, is just as good as traveling down south. Um, being able to work at home during this uh, pandemic has been very beneficial to me and my family. And uh, not so personal, I've learned that um, since our resources you know, during this time has really started to dwindle. We have to really understand that a lot of these resources are actually people and our people are dwindling and we really need to step up and uh, get this fixed. And this is also very complicated. Terrific. And I think uh, great answers. And I think what's interesting about the question and, and our experiences generally um, is about how these sort of Crises shine light on what are essential key values. What are the what are the most important questions? And I think 
Um, it has highlighted, as Christy mentioned, the way that sometimes it's the smallest things that you, you know, don't realize their value or importance until they're gone. And then, you know, what do we what do we do then? So now just to round out uh, the conversation and maybe you know, give a bit more perspective on who each of us are. I'm curious, you know, what is something that is important to you outside of work? And so we'll start off with Krista on this one. Um, for me, one thing that's very important to me outside of work is being physically active. Um, my best friend and I, we walk up to 10K a day and we go on hikes weekly. Um, this activity has made me feel mentally and physically better, better than anything I've ever imagined. And also spending time with my family and my friends um, and making sure everybody is doing well is also very important to me. Excellent. And Amanda? Yeah, I wasn't sure how to, to how seriously an answer to give to this one, but uh, the honest answer is probably that outside of work, what's most important to me is um, raising my children to be um, the best versions of themselves at least most of the time. None of us are the best versions of ourselves all of the time. And I hope that they can grow up with social awareness and tolerance for ambiguity uh, or complexity and just an unshakable confidence that they are loved. So I say that's the serious answer to that question. And then my less serious answer is that similar to the reasons Christy likes uh, filing, I like cooking. There's a certain <laughs> neat and tidiness about it where you have a project that starts and ends all in one day. And uh, our own work in ethics is often much more messy than that. So um yeah, so uh, so I'd say those are things that are important to me. Excellent. I can I can co-sign the cooking uh, for sure, as well as raising good children. That is also uh, <laughs> important. Uh, but for me, I uh, I highlighted the fact that uh, I'm an avid reader, and so libraries are a reliable source of things that make me happy. Uh, but they're also important to me because they serve so many critical functions in creating and supporting healthy, thriving, and inclusive communities. So really, if I believe in anything, I believe in libraries. Uh, and they've been an important uh, feature in my life uh, always, and, uh, and I anticipate they will continue to be so. So next we turn to Elizabeth. Yeah, I, I think actually, maybe that is one thing that I've learned from the pandemic. I know we are on to another question, but um, it is to distinguish work and, and make sure that I do something different from work uh, when I'm not working. Uh, and given the fact that I sit down all day and have been working home for a long time and I sit in front of the computer, it's extremely important for me when I'm not working to be active, similar to what Krista said. Uh, and that would involve um, going for a run or going for a long walk, listening to podcasts when I'm walking to relax, um, and then sewing. I mean, I'm crazy about sewing. Excellent. And last but not least, for you, Christy? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because I think um, certainly for me, one of the things that's important outside of work is family and friends. Uh, and, and for the reasons that we've talked about a little bit already in terms of having those connections with people who understand you, who accept you, uh, despite all your flaws and whatever it might be. 
but also provide those moments of respite out of a hard life. So, you know, my brother and I might text weird things to each other or punny jokes that, you know, everybody else will groan at. And yet it's kind of a fun way just to maintain a connection and have those moments that where you just sort of smile and laugh and kind of take a breath and carry on with whatever you're doing. And so I think having those those relationships, whether you identify as family or friends, I think those types of relationships for me are super important. Um, but it also, you know, I recognize how important they are for everyone to have those types of relationships because that that is what contributes to a lot of um, doing things well in our world in all of the broad ways that we can think about it. The other thing that I think is important to me outside of work is also recognizing along with the, the physical fitness side of this is how important having outdoor space is. Um, so, and I'm going to slip it in here. You, you thought we might make it through without me talking about rural perspectives, but yes, rural perspectives. <laughs> having grown up on a farm, grown up in the country, um, there's something for me about how peaceful and calming being outside is and hearing the wind and the trees, seeing the stars at night and those kinds of aspects that I also think we shouldn't underestimate. And yes, that relates to my work in other kinds of ways too, but I think fundamentally there's a piece that I've recognized during the pandemic in particular, when that conversation was about people not being able to have outdoor space or not being able to find a place to be outdoors that was safe. Um, that says something, I think, about how our priorities have maybe need to shift or need to rethink some of those aspects too. So. With that, I'll leave my, my diatribe on rural and outdoor spaces there. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Terrific. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, being willing to hop on board uh, this particular project and to join me for this conversation. I'd like to thank the audience for listening, and I hope that you've got a sense of who we are and how we approach the work that we do. Um, we're excited to bring you future episodes. We've got plans for a book discussion, for some article summaries, a movie night, as well as conversations with folks in Nova Scotia and beyond about why it's complicated when you engage with questions in healthcare ethics. So I'm looking forward to these conversations. I hope you are too. Stay tuned. Uh, again, thank you to my colleagues for joining me here today. So to Lisbeth, Amanda, Christy, and Krista. Uh, thank you, too, to the technical support we received from Dalhousie MedIT, the production assistance that Elizabeth and Krista provide, and theme music from Ben Capps. Mm -hmm.